I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rivals is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rivals, the show about music beefs and feuds and long-simmering resentments between musicians. I'm Steve. And I'm Jordan. And today we're going to be talking about possibly the defining music feud of the 21st century so far. It touches on sexism, racism, reality-driven culture. It's a discussion of an older man publicly disrespecting a talented younger woman. It's a discussion of white privilege and how we treat people of color in this country. It examines how fickle public taste can be. And it's a scary look at how social media can be weaponized. I think that's kind of part of the reason why this feud's so compelling. And let's not forget, the songs are pretty great. Yeah, and for those who haven't figured it out yet, we are talking about Taylor Swift versus Kanye West. And this is, as you said, probably the most famous feud of the early 21st century for all the reasons that you just mentioned. I feel like this is like a real Rorschach test because, as you said, some people look at it as a story about sexism. You know, some people see it as a story about racism. And the context keeps changing here. You know, just remember that at one time, not that long ago, people were talking about Taylor Swift being like the favorite artist of the alt-right. <laughs> people were looking at Kanye West as this outspoken critic of Republican presidents like George W. Bush. And now we have Taylor Swift going on Twitter and tweeting out against white supremacy. And Kanye has gone full MAGA. So I feel like in a year when people listen to this podcast, the context could totally change again. You know, so it's easy why this rivalry has launched a million think pieces. Uh, so there's a lot to get into this here. And uh, I think we should stop wasting time. So without further ado, let's get into this mess. All right, let's meet our fighters. First up, Kanye West, the I'd say the architect of early 21st century hip hop and potentially uh, an impeachable string of groundbreaking multi-platinum albums and hit production work behind him. 
But by 2009, he'd become known equally for his boasts and outbursts, especially at award shows. He'd stormed out of the 2004 American Music Awards after losing Best New Artist to Gretchen Wilson, whom I don't remember at all, and uh, hijacking the stage at the 2006 MTV Europe Music Awards when he, uh, he was bested by Justice versus Simeon for Best Video. I barely remember them either. In November 2007, his mother died unexpectedly during elective surgery, and he really, that sent him into an emotional tailspin for, I'd say, the rest of the decade, and I say that would probably contribute to what goes down at the uh, 2009 VMAs. Yeah, I just want to say quick, too, that, like, and this is, I'm going to show my bias here early in this episode. Those things that you mentioned, I think Kanye was right. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Maybe, maybe you, you want to dispute his uh, his means of expressing his outrage in those instances, but losing Best New Artist to Gretchen Wilson, the redneck woman. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. all due respect to Gretchen Wilson, but I think it's fair to say that Kanye deserved that award. Right, and I think this will show up again and again. He 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 generally has right to be outraged, but again, the, the means that he expresses it uh, could use some work. So I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, but this brings us to Taylor Swift. An up-and-comer back in 2009. It's crazy to remember a time when she was an up-and-comer. Then she was 19 years old. She was the biggest-selling pop artist of 2008. Her sophomore album, Fearless, was an incredible country crossover hit, sold 7 million copies in the U.S. alone, and spawned five platinum singles. All but one went top 20. So she wasn't the icon she'd become, but she was already clearly a powerhouse. Yeah, it's it's crazy to look at Taylor Swift's early career, and to think like, well, she was still building to what she would become. And yet, as you said, she was doing the kind of numbers that like the typical pop artist would look at as the pinnacle of their career. Like Fearless was just like a stop on the way to her ultimate status as like, like what's Taylor Swift now? She's like our overlord of stadium country, <laughs> you know, like we are just, you know, subjects in Taylor Swift's kingdom at this point. So these two are a different points in their career leading up to the 2000 Video Music Awards. And look, I feel like we all remember this incident. You know, it is, again, like, it's a clip that's been replayed, you know, thousands of times. So many people have written about it. But just to kind of give a brief overview here, Taylor Swift is up for Best Female Music Video, going up against uh, Beyonce. I, I think Lady Gaga was in that category for Poker Face. I mean, it was like a pretty stacked category that year. Like lots, Good year. Lots, lots of big heavyweights. And wasn't there a thing too leading up to this, like where Kanye was was spotted like taking huge swigs of Hennessy? Like he was kind of loaded at this point. Is, is that fair to say? Oh yeah, he was like all the red carpet shots. He just like that's his accessory. It's just like a bottle of Hennessy on the red carpet. So yeah, it, it was. And all the MTV staff members were like whispering, like, should should we get the camera off him? Like he's this is clearly not a good. Uh, he's not in a good space right now. So yeah, it, it was a bad day for him. I mean, I feel like most people at these shows are probably wasted. At least I hope they are because award shows are pretty interminable. So right. hopefully they <laughs> they have some sort of chemical assistance to help them get through it. But I anyway, think they call him for not bringing the bottle on the red carpet, though. That's that's, yeah, yeah, that's I, really the bar. Exactly. You know, have uh, have some discretion with your boozing at, at award shows. Uh, so, you know, Taylor Swift, she ends up winning the award, going up on stage. And then Kanye bursts in and he says that, you know, I'm going to let you finish famously. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. And he says that Beyonce should have won for single ladies, which... I feel like you have some disagreement on this. I would say that he was right in that instance. But like, are, were you, are you like a poker face stand here? Like, do you feel like that should have been the proper winner? 
in 2009? I don't know, because then I went back and watched them both side by side. And I mean, Single Ladies is pretty iconic. I, I think Gaga, I guess because she was the newbie that year, I can kind of understand why, you know, Beyonce probably, especially at that era, seemed to deserve it more. I think of Gaga more, I think more of her videos now with, you know, everything that came after that with Alejandro and Bad Romance and all the, and t- Telephone, the video with Beyonce. Uh, but I guess back then it probably seems like, I mean, Kanye was saying it was, it was the pinnacle of her, her video, Beyonce's lengthy video career at that point. Cause what, it already been 10 years into her career at that point for Beyonce. So whatever you want to say, whoever should have won, Taylor Swift is the one who wins for You Belong With Me. And as we said, she's ascendant at this point. And she started out as a country star, but she's going into the pop realm already. You kind of feel like this might be an instance of an award show trying to be ahead of the curve a little bit. Award shows often like to do that. They like to coronate the young star, give them a leg up just to show that they're with it and they can be a king or a queen maker. That might've been what was going on in this instance. Taylor gets the award. Kanye gets upset. People start booing Kanye almost immediately. And then Kanye, which, you know, everyone always talks about the, I'm gonna let you finish thing, but I like that. He just sort of shrugs. Oh yeah. Like when people are booing him and then, you know, (laughs) my, in my, in my memory, I, he spikes the moon man, but I've (laughs) since watched the clip and he does not do that, but I I like my version better. And this is something we'll get into in this episode because I feel like there was a massive overreaction to this. Like, and I think if you watch the clip again, it's clear that Kanye is being rude and pushy and he's interrupting Taylor Swift's moment. But at the same time, for me, I think award shows are stupid and I think that they're, that they're very boring. So I actually think this moment is, is pretty awesome because it's the rare instance of something spontaneous happening at an award show that you would never expect. Right. And, and, also- it, and it's actually interesting. It's like something that people still talk about. Like most award shows are Disposable. here and then, and then they're gone. Yeah, exactly. So on that level, just like as a pop culture observer, like, I love this event, and I love that Kanye did it, even though, and we'll get into this, you can dispute how he went about it and whether it was right or wrong, but, like, I think it's awesome that he disrupted this vapid award show. I mean, the Video Music Awards, come on. This is not an important event. It should be disrupted by drunken hip-hop stars. I mean, that is, I think, just a beautiful thing. Wait, when I first heard the news, like, the night of, I just remember being like, well, you know, it's, this isn't the Grammys even. This isn't the Oscars. This is the MTV Video Music Awards. And like you said, you know, isn't this what the same awards are where, like, Fartman descended down from the ceiling in the past? Like, it's it's made to be disrupted. I mean, obviously, he was being mean and loudish and, and boorish and all those things. But you're right. It wasn't it wasn't something that, that was beyond, uh, you, you know, beyond this kind of thing, this kind of behavior. But like, you know, like when you hear the stories about what was going on backstage, apparently, you know, bad scene, t- bad scene. Taylor Swift is crying. I guess Beyonce was crying. Taylor Swift's mom is like yelling at Kanye a little bit later on in the show. Like, I think Beyonce wins an award and she like brings Taylor Swift up with her so she can have a moment. Which, Isn't that what happened, or did she just shout her out? I can't no, remember. No, she brought exactly. her up. I mean, that should have been, you know, that was sort of the nice ending there. Meanwhile, they, they kicked Kanye out of the theater, I believe. Yeah, he got point. booted out. I think what makes this resonate so much, you know, as, along with what I said before about this being the rare instance of something actually interesting happening at an award <laughs> show, is that 
I think instantly people saw this as a metaphor for larger issues. And it seems like in the moment people looked at it as an instance of you have a successful young woman who gets her moment in the spotlight. And here comes like a bullying man to push her out of the way and to upstage her. And I think a lot of people looked at that as like, oh, this is like sexism in the music industry. You know, this is like women being cast aside, even a woman um, as accomplished already at that age as Taylor Swift. I think what we'll see later is another perspective, which is about racism and about racism at award shows and about how white artists are almost always praised and awarded above black artists. And um, I feel like that maybe came out later. Definitely with like the Oscars so white stuff. I think there was definitely been a reappraisal of why Kanye did what he did. It almost seemed to, to be a precursor to that. Yeah, I mean, and and we'll get into this. I mean, to me, like the richness of this rivalry is that it's a mix of like pop star megalomania. I think on both sides to a degree. (laughs) More on Kanye's side, though. And also like genuine grievance with the systems that exist in the music industry. Uh, So we'll get to that in a little bit. But like the fallout from this was really incredible. I mean, I think, People forget, like, because Kanye has been through so many controversies since this. But I feel like this was maybe the closest that he came to actually getting buried by a controversy. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you say? I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it completely eclipsed the the 2005 Hurricane Katrina telecast when he, he said George Bush doesn't care about black people on air. Uh, and this surpassed that almost immediately because he said it raised these issues of, of racism and sexism. Even Barack Obama weighed in. I guess it was supposed to be an off-the-record comment, but he, uh, but it, it, I think it leaked to TMZ or something, and he, he's heard on tape calling Kanye a jackass. And then future President Donald Trump called for a boycott of Kanye, which means that these two presidents who agree on nothing, they agree that Kanye West was being a dick in this moment. Which I mean, Kanye brought the country together right? in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, he was a unifier. Like the last time that we were unified, it was against him. I mean, even Jimmy Carter, you know, who, who negotiated the, the Camp David Accords, said that, that Kanye's actions were completely uncalled for. So it just just an incredible host of celebrities come out on social media in Taylor's defense. I guess Janet Jackson sent her flowers. Like it really, it was this big thing. Kanye. Knows he screwed up. He immediately goes into damage control. He posts two statements on his blog apologizing. He said, that was Taylor's moment, and I had no right in any way to take it from her. Uh, He was pre-booked to appear on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno the day after the incident. And so he appears. He's very soberly dressed in black. And uh, he discusses how, you know, it's a difficult day. He said, I'm just dealing with the fact that I hurt someone or took anything away from a talented artist or from anyone because I only wanted to help people. I immediately knew in that situation that it was wrong. It's someone's emotions that I stepped on. It was rude, period. And I guess he actually starts tearing up and Jay starts asking him what his mom would have thought of the incident, which is a cheap uh, shot there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Jay, Jay are you trying to be Barbara Walters, Jay Leno? <laughs> Come on. Like, who do you think you are? I mean, yeah. I. And again, I mean, Kanye's reaction, I think, is also really unique because can you imagine Kanye tearfully apologizing over anything that he says now i mean like no that that seems like so incredible yeah like he was gonna have a co-headlining tour with with lady gaga called ironically enough the fame kills tour uh and that was canceled because of this like this derailed an entire like big budget tour uh i would have loved to have seen that 
and it, it, it's just crazy. And uh, but what's interesting about this is that out of this uh, terrible controversy ends up coming what is, I think, still the most celebrated Kanye West record, which is My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And there was a narrative about that record that Kanye started himself where he basically said, like, I I felt like I had to make a masterpiece <laughs> like for people not to hate me anymore. Like, that was the motivation. And I think, again, that goes to, that speaks to the point about how close Kanye West came to like losing everything in a way, you know, as melodramatic as that sounds, it really seems like in his own mind, even like those were the stakes. And it's like, if I'm going to make people forget me going on stage and embarrassing Taylor Swift, then I have to go to Hawaii. I have to spend millions of dollars. I have to fly in like a battery of co-stars, including, you know, everyone from like, you have like MIA there, you have Fergie there, you have Nicki Minaj famously, you have Bonnie Vare there. Uh, and it actually works. Like, he makes this record and everyone loves it. And that is what ends up turning his career around. Like everything you just said is such a fascinating insight into Kanye's psychology. For this, like, you know, I guess in the grand scheme of things, relatively minor transgression. I need to exile myself to the other end of the world. Spend $3 million. I guess it was one of the most expensive albums ever made up to that point. Yeah, it definitely seems like an overreaction to the overreaction of everybody well, coming I, out for Taylor Swift. I disagree. I actually think that Kanye had the right strategy. I mean, again, oh, Barack Obama called him a jackass. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? You're right. Like, they, you know, you had entertainment reporters apparently calling up ex-presidents, you know, one by <laughs> one down the list being like, what do you think about this? So that they could shake their heads and, you know, and send out like, you know, disapproving statements about Kanye. It really was one of those things where uh, like people felt uh, like they had to defend Taylor Swift against this guy. And again, you know, there might be an element th that we could talk about with that, like with the race issue that like people felt that this black artist was upstaging the pretty white blonde woman. And so now we have to totally cast, you know, castigate this person over again. I, I agree with you. I think it's a minor stupid incident. I think Kanye should have been made fun of for this, but like just the degree to which he was condemned in retrospect, especially just seems way over the top to me. So I think he did have to make this sort of over the top, gaudy expensive classic record to you know get him back on track and it and it worked for a while because i mean like you go to the next vmas and like kanye and and taylor are like you know sort of making up at that point yeah i mean i i took it as sort of passive aggression on both parts they, they each kanye and taylor each had a song to premiere at the vmas in 2010 it was sort of very obviously framed as like a second showdown and uh, and and Taylor goes first. She has a song called "Innocent," uh, which is <laughs> yeah. Uh, She's laying it on thick at this point. And it's like, look, I like Taylor Swift a lot, but you know, like I said, I think there's a megalomania issue on both sides here. Like she was playing this up to not her fault initially that she was upstaged, but I don't know. That seems like it's laying it on a little bit thick. I mean, the performance opens point. with a clip from. Kanye interrupting her the prior year. So it, it, there's no <laughs> ambiguity here at all. And it, she said that the song was meant to be an open letter to someone, someone that I meant to tell them in person. 
she references New September's. The award show took place in September. She has a line, 32 and still growing up. Kanye was 32 during the VMAs incident. Uh. It's all right. Just wait and see. Your string of lights is still bright to me. Who you are is not where you've been. You're still an innocent. I... It's like oh. a, it's like an olive branch with poison ivy in it. It's such like a, a, a country thing to do. It's like a touch of pity in the forgiveness there. It's just like twisting the knife. Well, and like, I, I will say like, you know, Taylor Swift, really good songwriter. I like how she turns the meaning of the word innocent in the lyric where you look at the title and you're thinking, oh, she's saying her, she's referring to herself that I'm innocent, but she turns the word innocent into an insult at Kanye saying that he's basically like a simpleton <laughs> at the end, which is like pretty, that's a, you know, hats off to Taylor. That's like a pretty clever, I think, songwriting uh, gambit right there. But I think it's fair to say that like, if this was a rematch and like they were fighting with songs that Kanye won because he ended the show with runaway. Incredible, incredible song. And this is a song that's also self-referential, but he's talking about himself. And of course the famous, chorus about you know let's give a toast to the douchebags give a toast to the assholes i mean i think he's talking about himself he could be also doing the same thing that taylor was doing where you think he's talking about himself but he's actually talking about the other person i don't think he's calling taylor swift an asshole though i think he's probably talking about himself in this song but it's one of those kind of typical great kanye things that he was able to do at this time where he could make fun of himself while also self-aggrandizing at the same time you know, because that is such a grandiose song. And uh, it's just a brilliant thing, like where it's like, oh, yeah, he's making fun of himself, but he's also kind of justifying his awfulness at the same time. With <laughs> like 15 <laughs> ballerinas around him, I seem to remember too. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, I, I feel like I'm showing my cards here early on where my biases lie. You know, I, I wrote about this rivalry in my book, Your Favorite Ben is Killing Me. And, the thing I, I wrote about in that book was talking about the idea of like insiders versus outsiders and like how when we look at award shows, often it's about a battle between an artist that is looked at as like sort of a paragon of an industry and another thing that is like sort of the upstart and the underdog. And usually the the industry insider wins and the and the upstart doesn't. But they win at the award show, but in the in the court of public opinion, often it's the upstart that people love. And just to give an obvious example of this, if we were talking about movies like Forrest Gump winning the Best Picture Academy Award in 1984 would be an example of like an inside type thing. And Pulp Fiction losing would be like the outside. You know, you know what I mean? Like there's always these things of like, well, this thing won, but this other thing deserved to win. And I think at the Grammys, for instance, that's become the dominant narrative every year. You know, it's like Adele wins and people are mad that Beyonce didn't win. Or, you know, Mumford and Sons wins and not Kendrick Lamar. You know, it seems like there's a controversy like that uh, every year. And I think when we look back at the VMAs in 2009, I think two things can be true at the same time. When you look at Kanye West. There's no question that he's a narcissist and an egomaniac and maybe even a lunatic. You know, like that is all true. But I think what's also true is that you look at someone like him, you know, he was nominated for album of the year at the Grammys, his first three albums, never won. Taylor Swift 
won two album of the year Grammys, I think before she turned what, maybe 25, 26 years old. Um, And that's not to say that Taylor Swift doesn't deserve those awards, but there's no question that like award shows feel more comfortable giving someone like Taylor Swift awards more than they feel comfortable giving someone like Kanye West awards. And I feel like when he storms the stage in that instance, you have to consider that factor, you know? And I think that would maybe be like the best justification for doing that. Not to say that he wasn't rude or he he didn't like ruin the moment, but I think that aspect of it is what is maybe the most interesting part of this for me personally, that subtext about like what we choose to say is important in our culture and like how sometimes people rebel against that. And so I think that would probably be the most favorable way to look at what Kanye did. Yeah. And also the VMAs in particular, I think he was really hurt by the fact that I think it was in 2007, he was lobbying to open the award show and they gave it to, to Britney Spears instead, who kind of famously, that was her, her kind of redemption moment after all of her, her troubles earlier in the year. And, and he was sort of hurt by like, no, I'm a, a vibrant artist who has all this new material. And she, at that point was kind of like on her way to Vegas, really. It was just sort of like a, a lip syncing song and dance kind of number. And yeah, I, I think that he thought that that was, it was favoring tabloid celebrity not to mention the racial element over just his, his cutting edge art. And I think that he, I mean, he's lashed out at a number of award shows, but I think the VMAs in particular were in his sights for that reason. All right, hang on. We'll be right back with more rivals. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So around this time, you know, Kanye, he's making My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I believe that comes out in November of 2010. I I believe it was like towards the end of that year. I remember just because like that record dropped and basically all the critics had to like tear up their their year end. Yeah, (laughs) because it was like that record just shot to the top of like every list. And I don't think it's a coincidence that around this time, when that record's about to drop, that's like when Kanye starts walking back his apologies. Yeah, he uh, he, he went on record saying that it was inaccurate, was this quote, for uh, for Fearless to have been named Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards that year, uh, which for him is, is, is pretty tame. And then he starts going on radio shows and, and kind of defending what he did at the VMAs, saying, you know, painting himself as the victim. What's so arrogant about that moment, the VMAs, he's saying? If anything, it's selfless. I'm walking around now with half an arm trying to sell albums and having to walk in rooms and be afraid of my food getting spat in. (laughs) And and he's just talking about all the people saying, no, I lost all respect for you. Nobody wants to sit and look at the reality. Uh, And then he kind of, now he gets going and he's talking about how it was just disrespectful for Taylor to win that award over, uh, over Beyonce. So he, he starts walking about his apology in uh, fairly major ways, I'd say, and then starts saying that he did Taylor a favor, saying that, you know, Swift would now have, was on 100 magazine covers after, you know, what he did on stage. So it very quickly turned from him apologizing to him saying, you know, I'll, I'll take my thank you card whenever you feel like it, Taylor. Yeah, it's funny, like, how he was already laying the groundwork for the song Famous right. from Life of Pablo, which you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. I mean, that ends up being a major uh, plot point in this rivalry. You know, do you think that Kanye West knew who Taylor Swift was in 2009? Like, th- this, there's part of me that feels like he wasn't aware of her presence yet, maybe because she was still just coming out of country radio, because he seems to think that, like, she wasn't, like, popular or successful before this incident at the VMAs, which obviously isn't true. I mean, she was already a big star, but I just wonder if like Taylor, if he was just like, who's this, who's this blonde lady upstate? You know, maybe he didn't even know who she was at that point. Taylor asked him that directly on the, the famous phone call that we'll get to later when Kanye calls Taylor to ask about the famous lyrics. And she said, did you really not? Do you really think you made me famous? Did you really not know who I was? I sold 7 million albums that year, <laughs> you know, but then again, you also get the idea when you when you watch the 2009 VMAs that Taylor is very much the new kid there. This is like her first time in in this realm. I mean, all the Nashville award shows, like the CMAs and stuff, she's like an old hand there. But you do get the idea that, that she's the new kid in school at, at these award shows. So it, it's possible. But then also it's a question of what did Kanye actually know and what did he tell himself after the fact that he now believes? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean— Kanye is his own unreliable narrator. You know, I like, like he has the unreliable narrator voice in his head. He probably has a, you know, a couple different narrators going on simultaneously. You know, I just talking about all these Kanye quotes, it was, it's just making me think wistfully back to that time in the late aughts and early 2010s when 
not only were new Kanye West albums events, because they really were like events, like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy was an event, you know, Yeezus was an event, but his interviews were also events. Like he would do an interview and like they would hit social media and everyone would be talking about them. Everyone would be sharing quotes, like quotes would become memes within like an hour of an interview dropping from, from Kanye. And one of my favorite Kanye West interviews was with the New York Times in, in 2013, where he was promoting Yeezus at the time. And that was an interview where he again talked about the VMA incident with, with Taylor Swift. And uh, <laughs> this is a great quote. He said, it only led me to complete awesomeness at all times. It only led me to awesome truth and awesomeness Beauty, truth, awesomeness. That's all it is. And which, again, amazing quote. And he also says in that interview, like the thing that stands out to me is that like he called my beautiful dark twisted fantasy a a backhanded apology. And in a way, he kind of disavowed that album to a degree. I think, again, based on the narrative that this was his, you know, way to make amends with the public. I think by the time of Jesus, he came to resent that idea that he even had to make amends. And it affected how he talked about that record in a very interesting way. I think my favorite part of his apology walk back tour is when he said that, uh, if I wasn't drunk, I would have been on stage at the VMAs longer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. See, again, it was just straight up gold back then. I, I missed that era of Kanye interviews because now I feel like when I see a new Kanye interview, like I want to hide under my desk. Like I like I don't want to read this. I'm afraid of what he's gonna say. It just fills me with dread when it used to fill me with joy. So I, I feel some wistfulness <laughs> revisiting some of these interviews. But one of his his truly great public speeches was at the 2015 VMAs, where he was awarded the um, Video Vanguard Award. And it was presented by none other than Taylor Swift, which is, you know, an incredible act of, of, of booking on MTV's part. And you'd kind of seen the signs earlier in the year. They were photographed at the, uh, at the Grammys earlier in February, looking, you know, smiley, reasonably friendly. Um, this was the same event where Beyonce lost album of the year to Beck's morning phase and Kanye pretended to jump out of his seat and crash the stage again. And I have to say, I was actually in the audience at the Grammys this year. The air just was sucked out of the room. Everybody just thought, oh no, oh no, not again. Not at the Grammys. Like, no, oh God, like that's fine for basic cable, but please, no. And then he just kind of does uh, the just kidding shrug and walks back to the crowd. See, of course the Grammys would be afraid of being interesting. You know, of course they'd be like, oh man, someone might actually give a shit about what's happening on this show. Like, oh no, let's let's give the award to like a really boring late period Beck album. Uh, yeah, this is this is more of our comfort zone. Yeah. Oh, so so the, the groundwork was set earlier in the year for some kind of very public detente between between Taylor and Kanye. And it goes down, of course, at the VMAs. Yeah. And like it starts off with um, like Taylor Swift is giving the speech for, you know, like introducing Kanye. I, I mean, are you inducted into the video vanguard? I, I don't know the terminology. Bestowed? Here. I was gonna, honored with? Bestowed, I, I yeah, guess. I so. And so anyway, she's, you know, saying that it's her come to Jesus moment, you know, which is a very <laughs> cute line. And, uh, you know, it, again, it, I think at this time, there was this idea that like, okay, this was like a crazy thing that happened to us. 
you know, five, six years ago, but we've gotten over it now. We're friends. And, uh, you know, Taylor says in the speech that like, uh, well, I'm sorry, this, you know, like Taylor gave an interview to Vanity Fair, which he said, you know, I feel like I wasn't ready to be friends with him until I felt he had some sort of respect for me. And he wasn't ready to be friends with me until he had some sort of respect for me. So it was the same issue. And we both reached the same place at the same time. So she's given this interview with Vanity Fair, where she says that. And this, I mean, her speech is really nice. I mean, she talks about how like the first album she ever bought was The College Dropout, which is Kanye's 2004 debut. And she says, I've been a fan of his for as long as I can remember because Kanye defines what it means to be a creative force in music, fashion, and well life. Can I just say, this is just like a quick tangent. I hate it when people talk about fashion <laughs> being an achievement. That's totally something for me. Like I, One of my theories about Kanye's career is that he began to lose his way even before the MAGA stuff. It's when he started caring about being a fashion designer. It's like after Yeezus, he kind of started losing interest in music and he started caring about fashion. It's like, dude, just make great records. Who cares about fashion? Fashion is stupid. But that's just my bias there, I guess. So anyway, she gives a, she gives this great speech and then Kanye comes out and then Kanye gives like a bonker speech himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, Taylor goes to says all those nice things. And then Kanye gets up there and gives this 11-minute speech. He criticizes MTV for going to bat for some artists while, like, at the expense of others, basically pitting artists against each other. He then accuses them of booking Taylor as a presenter just to get more ratings, despite the fact that Taylor has publicly claimed that Kanye asked her to do it personally and, and listed all these heartfelt reasons why he thought it would be great for her to give him this award. So... She's in the audience right now, I guess, standing right next to Kim Kardashian. And she's just seething that she went up there and made nice. And now publicly, he's basically talking shit about her. And it just sent her right back to square one. But she, she was just thinking, you know what? I, I don't want this guy to be this, like, my, my, my personal, like, specter of hate anymore. I'm just going to let this go. It's fine. I don't want to be on bad terms. And Kanye, again, kind of knew he screwed up. I guess the next day he sent her this, like, massive cube of flowers, which is a very Kanye apology. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and you know, and I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Kanye was just speaking off the cuff at that point and said a lot of dumb things like he is, you know, apt to do. And uh, although, again, it seems like at that point anyway, he was at least willing to acknowledge like when he said something dumb and made some overture to apologize to her afterward. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, later on, Taylor Swift talked about how angry she was at, in that moment, but she didn't make that known at the time. And there was this period, you know, like we were saying before, where it seemed like this was over, like they weren't feuding anymore. And this was just something that happened in 2009 and wasn't that crazy back then. And I remember, and I think I talked about this, like one of our first episodes was on Taylor Swift versus Katy Perry. And by the way, shout out to Taylor Swift, the first two-time rival subject. <laughs> I'm sure she'd be <laughs> thrilled. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I remember back then, like I was writing my book. It was my first book. And I showed it to a friend of mine. And he said, you know, you should have written about Taylor Swift and Katy Perry. Because in when I wrote that book, it was like 2015 when I wrote it. That was the hotter Taylor Swift rivalry, you know, there was more going Bad blood on. Bad era. And it seemed like Kanye was a thing of the past. But then, like, right before my book came out, this rivalry blew up again. Stop the presses. It, it started, literally, yeah. the presses were stopped because 
Kanye puts out The Life of Pablo in early 2016. And as we were talking about earlier, there's a song on that record called Famous. And he says famously that, he says, I made that bitch famous is the, is the quote. So not only is he, you know, referring to her with a misogynistic term, but he is, I think this is the part that insulted her more, I'm sure. The idea that she wasn't already successful on her own, that she had to rely on this essentially tabloid story to make her career, which is demonstrably untrue. Like there's no evidence that that was, that was the case. And there's plenty of evidence that Taylor Swift was already well on her way to being famous. And then there was also the line where he says, I feel like me and Taylor Swift still might have sex. Why? Because he made her famous. So, um, Taylor Swift was not crazy about this song, as you might imagine, And this is also another controversial part of this because I think she claimed early on that Kanye didn't ask for permission for this, you know, to sing about her in this song. And that ends up being like another, like the the next big point of contention, right? That like, not only did, uh, you know, like like the idea is that Kanye insulted her, but then Taylor was saying that, well, you didn't even give me a heads up about this, but like, that wasn't really true. Right. It, I mean, and she... Both her team and then Taylor at the Grammys that year, where she became, I think, the first woman to win Album of the Year twice, kind of spoke about, you know, and subtweeted Kanye about, you know, people are gonna gonna try to to take credit for your work. Don't let them just keep on doing your thing. Is basically how you could paraphrase it. So Kanye tries to defend himself on Twitter. He uh, he eventually deleted the tweets, but he said, I, I did not diss Taylor Swift and I have never dissed her. And he reiterates that, that he he said he'd called Taylor and ran the line by her and she thought it was funny and gave her blessing. Uh, and he said, you know, besides the term bitch is supposed to be an endearing term was his phrase in hip hop. Uh, and he also claimed that the whole thing was Taylor's idea in the first place. He said, it's actually something Taylor came up with. She was having dinner with one of our friends whose name I will keep out of this. And she told him, I can't be mad at Kanye because he made me famous. I seriously, seriously, seriously doubt she ever said that, even in a joking manner. I, that, that is extremely hard to believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Taylor Swift doesn't strike me as someone who would uh, be self-deprecating in that way, I, especially with maybe someone that she wasn't really close with. I imagine that Taylor Swift, like all pop stars of her stature, probably has a pretty healthy self-regard. You know, so yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine her saying that even in jest. Right. And so Taylor tries to do her best to leave it alone. Kim Kardashian is giving an interview to, uh, to GQ and she kind of goes to bat for her husband and said, you know, I, I'm, I'm sick of Taylor throwing Kanye under the bus about stuff. And been, she's been living off this for seven years at this point. Now he did call like, like people in the industry know he called, I, I'm sick of, of her playing the victim. I'm tired of this. And then she releases on Snapchat the receipts, basically. Video, she's filming Kanye talking on speaker to Taylor, uh, illegally recording the call, I should say. In the state of California, that, that is not legal. Uh, and so she puts the, uh, the video of Kanye running some lines from the song by Taylor on, on social media. Now, this is when it gets really sticky uh, Kanye can be heard saying the line about, you know, I think me and Taylor might still have sex. And Taylor actually responds to that in, in, a, in a more positive way than one might expect. There is nothing about the bitch part. 
And so that becomes Taylor's sticking point is that, you know, I, I did not give him permission to call me bitch in his song. That is a, 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 a misogynistic, terrible term. And I do not want to be referred to that, especially by Kanye West, who, you know, we have a, a tricky relationship with. So that's where we're at with that. Yeah, I feel like Robert Mueller needed to be brought in at some <laughs> point to, like, parse this because, yeah, it was getting very uh, granular. We're getting deep into the weeds and like, you know, we'll get into this, but like, th- this isn't even the end of this, like whole like parsing of like, you know, who knew what and when and all this stuff. <laughs> it's very Watergate. Um, also in the middle of this, I mean, Kanye is continuing to pour gasoline on the fire when he puts out the video for Famous, where it appears that like he's like digitally reconstructed Taylor Swift to make her look like she's naked in this video, along with a bunch of other people in a big bed with, with Kanye West. And that's also something that Taylor Swift was not happy to see, I think would be, you know, a fair assessment. She called it revenge porn, uh, which I don't think that's like the totally accurate way to use the term revenge porn, because I don't think she was like literally in bed with Kanye and serendipitous, you know, and then like secretly videotaped and put on uh, put online. But there does seem to be a bit of a trolling aspect of that music video. And it definitely worked. In uh, pissing Taylor Swift even more off than she already was. It's wax figures of Taylor, Anna Wintour, Rihanna, Chris Brown, Ray J, Amber Rose, Caitlyn Jenner, and Bill Cosby, and Kim and That's Kanye. That's a motley crew. That is a crew. That's a motley crew right there, man. I mean, I, I, the revenge point, I think you're right. It, it, it's not the most accurate use of the term, but I, I think the malicious intent was definitely there. And, and I, I thought it was a, a pretty horrifying and disgusting thing to, to do. To anybody, but especially somebody. I understand he was trying to be controversial. I mean, obviously having Bill Cosby and Chris Brown and Rihanna and everybody there, I knew what he was trying to do. But yeah, I, that that seemed to be way, 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 way over a line. And, and pre- I'm actually sort of surprised she didn't sue. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor before we get to more Rivals. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which is morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? 
Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So we flash forward to uh, the next Taylor Swift record, which is Reputation. And I feel like that record is influenced by a lot of things that were happening in Taylor Swift's life. I always feel like that record was in a way a reaction against the sexual assault allegations that Taylor Swift made against that disc jockey. I think he was in Colorado that groped her and uh, that ended up being uh, settled in a lawsuit. I think the Kanye stuff was also a factor in there, but I mean, that's definitely like her angry record. You know, that's the record where she was really upending her persona in a way. I think that was really interesting. I mean, that record is, I think, the lowest selling record of her career or among the lowest selling. And it it definitely w- was received critically in a very sort of mixed fashion after she put out 1989, and that was, you know, universally loved by both critics and and uh, the audience. And it won, you know, the album of the year at the Grammys. But yeah, there was like this bad girl aspect to Reputation. I I saw that uh, concert film that she made that was uh, posted on Netflix, and I just think of like she had that enormous snake on stage, which, <laughs> funny enough, was called Karen. Yeah, you know, and Karen and Karen didn't have the significance then that it does now. I mean. In a way, maybe she was she was prescient back then. But yeah, I mean, on Reputation, it seemed like she embraced this like villain persona. She was going to sort of embody all the things that her critics were accusing her of. Because, you know, I think like with the, the Kim Kardashian stuff and all the Snapchat things and like, you know, showing the receipts, I feel like that was part of a reckoning with Taylor Swift in the mid-2000s after she became so big after 1989 where we're... It seemed like there was this recurring thing in the, in the media about painting her as like as a fake person or as a two-faced person. Right. The, the, the snake thing in particular was because when Kim Kardashian posted those videos, all of Kim's fans started the, the hashtag Taylor Swift is over party and would tweet these snakes at her. You know, she's a lying snake. And so by having that giant 63 foot tall snake set piece. She was just leaning into that and embracing that. Like, fine, you want to call me a snake? You want to call me, you know, a snake in the grass, a, a, a villainous? Fine. You know what? I'm going to own this. Yeah, and there was that song, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things, which that song is also about how, you know, she's basically been betrayed by people, you know, people stabbing her in the back, and like how that has forced her to embrace the evil side, at least at that point in their career, that like, okay, if you think I'm this terrible person then I am going to embody that. I, I, you know, I'll be everything that you think I am and I'll exaggerate it on this record. Uh, and it seemed like that was really, you know, the guiding force thematically of reputation. And 
again, like I like that record. I, I appreciate that aspect of it because I, I do think Taylor Swift, the thing that I think is really impressive about her and also can maybe be a little like oppressive is just how controlling she is of her art and her persona. Like to me, she's like the smartest, canniest pop star of like the last 20 years. Um, but there is an element sometimes, I think, especially at that time where people felt like it was a little too, uh, you know, it was a little bit too premeditated or, yeah, or a little contrived at the time, um, which, you know, I, I I think that that isn't a totally fair thing to say, because I think all pop stars are contrived. I think that's like the name of the game. That's like what people want. You know, that's what you have to do in order to be successful. So to single her out for that, I think would be unfair. But I don't know. I feel like that was her being a rebel. And I like that she was going through that. Yeah, I always thought of it as like her Sandy from Grease moment, you know, just kind of like. It, it gave her a bulletproof <laughs> right, excuse right. to just like take shots at her two biggest celebrity nemesis too. I mean, Kanye, and I always think that the Katy Perry influence on that too can't be overstated also. I think that there was a lot of, of what was going on with her and Katy in there also. Uh, also, it's worth noting, it's maybe a coincidence, maybe not. Uh, it's worth noting that the album came out on the 10th anniversary of Kanye's mother's death. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember that people talking about that. I, it's hard for me to believe that that was intentional. I, really don't think she would go Stoop there. to that. Right. No, you're right. I, I think I think if she was if she was trying to troll Kanye, there's other anniversaries that she could have done. I do think that like was this with reputation? I think this was this was with Lover, where she put all of her albums on Spotify at the same time of like Katy Perry. Oh, it was for no reason. It was just to thank fans. When Katy Perry was about to release Witness, she put all of her music back on Spotify like the day of, I think, or maybe the day before. Uh, yeah, that that seems deliberate. Yeah, oh, yeah. That seems pretty plainly pretty deliberate amazing. to upstage her. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what's fascinating to me about, about Reputation is that I think at the time people looked at it as this erratic record that was maybe the first, you know, crack in the armor for, for Taylor. You know, she had all these records that were successful. She was very well regarded. She's winning all these awards. And then she finally has her first big kind of public relations snafu around this time. But if you look at the arc of her career, I feel like if you look at Reputation in light of Lover, the next record, it's kind of perfect because like Lover is then positioned as like the comeback to the light record. You know what I mean? And it, it, it ends up kind of, you know, this record Reputation, which looks like a detour, it ends up kind of looking like a perfect painting in a way, like that she did it on purpose. Oh, yeah. I always thought of Lover as being like almost like her double fantasy record. Like that's her her in love album. Uh, she Taylor laid off Kanye for a while. The fact that he was hospitalized in the midst of his St. Pablo tour probably, you know, made him a subject that you, you really didn't want to take too many public shots at. Uh, but but she was in love with this actor, Joe Alwyn. Um, and uh, what do you think of Lover? I mean, as bitter as reputation is, Lover is just the inverse. It's like gooey and... At points, it's almost like too sweet for me. I don't know. What, what yeah, do you think? I'm, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, like I'm a reputation defender and I am inclined to go to that record more than Lover. And again, maybe that's just my own sort of point of view. Like I was talking earlier about the sort of insider outsider dynamic and reputation in a weird way is like her outsider record. You know, it's like, 
the the biggest star in the world attempting to paint herself as like this rebellious upstart, which in a way wasn't totally off base at that time because you know and I alluded to this earlier. I mean Taylor Swift was going through like a couple of years of like terrible press, like where I think people unfairly were giving her a hard time because she wasn't politically active during the 2016 election. Like there was this whole thing about how she didn't endorse Hillary Clinton or she didn't really take like any public stances and it seemed like there was an element in the media almost blaming her for like the results of the election for that, which, and you know, Taylor Swift has since become more politically outspoken, which is her prerogative. And that's great for her. But I also felt like, well, if she didn't want to speak, that was her prerogative too. You know, I, so Anyway, she was really taking it on the chin um, at that point. So, it, yeah, I, I think it justified a record like Reputation, whereas Lover, to me, you know, in spite of its obvious strengths, it felt more, maybe that was like her My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in a way. It was like her Ooh. like making a record to bring people back into the fold, um, which to me isn't as interesting, but it, I think it definitely worked. Some her. incredible pop songs on. I mean, Paper Rings, I think, is, is one of the best pop songs she's made. It, it always thought it was interesting that, that it opens with I Forgot That You Existed, which I always felt was directed at Kanye. Uh, how many days did I spend thinking about how you did me wrong, wrong, wrong? Lived in the shade you were throwing till all my sunshine was gone, gone, gone. But then right. I forgot no, that, that you existed. That makes sense. I mean, it's funny because... I felt like again by this time that I didn't think that they were that Taylor and Kanye were friends, but it seemed like it had died out. It seemed like okay, like what else are they going to do with this? And then it comes back again <laughs> in early 2020, where you know the world is starting to really having to deal with the the coronavirus pandemic. You know, we're all in this like very kind of frightened frame of mind, and this is the point like where. Kim Kardashian, oh, no, wait, no, it was Taylor Swift that brought it back, right? I think the the full version of the of the famous call leaked, and I I don't know who's presumably somebody that's anti Kanye because the sticking point was oh we absolutely told her that we were going to say all the lines and Kim, and uh, Taylor said no I never heard anything about I made that bitch famous and this call seems to really validate Taylor's point the we might have sex part is in there. She's as fine with it as she can be. And then he says, Kanye kind of senses, okay, she's warming to this. Maybe I'm going to show her this other line. He mentions, you know, I might have this, this other line in there too. Uh, what if later in the song I said I made her famous? And you could tell Taylor gets kind of colder. She, it's pretty obvious she's not in love with this line. And she says, it's just kind of like, whatever. Like, you honestly didn't know who I was before the VMAs. It doesn't matter that I sold 7 million of that album before you did what you did on stage. Uh, you didn't know who I was, but but fine, but fine. But, you know, it's clearly just by the tone in her voice, it's not fine. Uh, but there was no mention of the word bitch and the sort of the more inflection and the more inflammatory way that he had the line on the record. So in the way, it's it, it kind of makes Taylor the victor in the four-year-long famous saga. Well, it, and again, this is unfolding against the backdrop of like thousands of people getting sick from a new pandemic. And millions we're of talking jobs about, being lost. Yeah, millions of jobs being lost. And we're talking about this, and, you know, which 
again, it speaks to the megalomania of both of these people because, you know, as over the top as Kanye is at times, the fact that like Taylor Swift would choose now to fixate on this stupid call, it just speaks to a blinkered point of view. I think that's endemic among celebrities. Although I do think too that, and this speaks to what we were talking about earlier about how the context keeps shifting with this rivalry. And I think that's what keeps it relevant after all these years. I have to believe that an element of Taylor Swift choosing to bring that up again is related to how Kanye West has changed over the last few years and how we think about Kanye West has changed because he's become so associated now with like mega and wearing the red hat and all the things that he has said about, uh, you know, our president and the state of the country. And I feel like, to some degree, Taylor Swift's on an opening with with Kanye West because he's such a less sympathetic character now than he was maybe at one time. In a way, it's like we've come full circle because I think at the beginning of this rivalry, Taylor Swift was the more sympathetic character in terms of public perception. I feel like around the mid-aughts, or I'm sorry, the mid-2010s, that it shifted to Kanye like when, you know, Kim Kardashian is dropping all the Snapchats and all the receipts. I think people were inclined to view Taylor Swift in a negative way. And now we've come back again where Taylor Swift has refashioned herself as this crusader of progressive causes. And Kanye is this reactionary conservative, which you would not have predicted that 10 years ago. Like that, it's so crazy. And it just, again, it just makes me think that like, we might have to do another episode on these two because in a year they could be completely different. Yeah. Even if no other incidents happen, the context with both of these people could, you know, shift, you know, do another 180. I will say though, in, in Taylor's defense, as much as I can defend the whole phone call thing going on and on, it, it wasn't necessarily her that leaked it. And she did when she went on social media to sort of comment on this extended version of the call. She did have all these links to donating to Corona Relief and stuff like that, too. And she kind of basically said, you know, I really we shouldn't be talking about this right now. This is my thoughts on it. And oh, by the way, here, donate over here because this is what really matters right but now. But she's still like single. I mean, OK, if you say like, I don't I shouldn't be talking about this, but I am talking about it. Then you're talking about it. True. And you're still signal boosting it. So, you know, but good on her for shoehorning some <laughs> corona relief in there. So, OK. This is the part of the episode where we talk about the pro side uh, for each person. And, um, you know, let's talk about Kanye West first. In a way, I feel like he's the harder person to defend here, especially for going back to the 2009 inciting incident at the VMAs. Um, just generally speaking, Kanye West to me is the most interesting pop star hands down of the last 20 years. Like I said, I think there was a moment in time where his interviews were as important and essential as his albums. And his albums were huge as well. I mean, they were events. Um, and his run from, say, like the mid-aughts to like the mid-2010s, to me, in pop music, it doesn't get any better than that. Like that, in, in terms of the creative quality and also the relevance and, and just how fascinating he was as a figure, um, I think he's unrivaled. And I would say that if I were to defend the original, uh, you know, barging in on Taylor Swift on stage, I'd go back to what I said earlier in this episode. I think that if you are inclined to view this through 
the lens of race, then I think you can look at Kanye as a sympathetic figure striking out against a system that frequently awards white people over black people. And I think, again, like it, even if Kanye is a, is a narcissist and an egotist and, you know, and just a crazy person, I think there is a level of satisfaction in seeing someone stand up and say, Hey, no, the black artist should have won this, not the white artist. Uh, not to defend necessarily barging in on people and ruining their moment. But I think, again, if you're going to make the pro case, that is where it lays. The idea that award shows should be disrupted by crazy pop stars because there's terrible award shows are bad and they should be interrupted. <laughs> they should be protested against because they make a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of inequities there and also because they're boring and it's more exciting when you have Kanye West barging in on people. So that would be my pro case for Kanye. Oh, I agree. I mean, he's just, he's definitely one of the most exciting artists of, of our time. His risks are bigger. And when they fail, like, you know, remember, yay, they, they crash hard. But when they succeed, the results are just some of the most amazing, vibrant, imaginative music. I mean, my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is one of my favorite albums of all time. I would argue that he helped shape the sound of hip hop for the aughts, really, or at least the late aughts. Uh, and I mean, 808s and Heartbreak, yes. I think, which, which was the record he had to come back from. But like, that is... I think the most influential record, maybe just for pop music in general, like looking ahead to the next decade. I mean, there's so many artists that took a lot from that record. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about his political points. I mean, as, as difficult as his political position is to sort of pin down now, you know, he was very outspoken about his progressive beliefs at a time when artists weren't as expected to do that. I mean, now with everybody having Twitter and, and Instagram, it, it it sort of goes part and parcel with being a public figure is, you know, who do you support? What what causes are you supporting? But at the time, that was not expected. And he went on a, a television special in 2005 and, and really spoke out about LGBT rights at a time when that, yeah, I don't even think Hillary Clinton at that part was, point was pro-gay rights. I mean, it was definitely bringing attention to stuff that, really wasn't mainstream. And of course, the, the uh, Hurricane Katrina incident, or incident, but just the famous quote about George Bush doesn't, not caring about black people. And he also spoke about how um, media covered people of color in the wake of the tragedy. He said that, you know, it's kind of what they're saying now with, with the George Floyd um, protest. They said, you know, when they show a black family, they're looting. And when you see a white family, it's they're looking for food. And, you know, he's not wrong. The way that the media covered the aftermath of that tragedy was was really skewed. Um, so, no, I think that he needs to be, again, the way he expresses it sometimes uh, is maybe not the best way to put the point across. But I, I, I give him credit for, for stating it, at least. Now, going over to the pro-Taylor Swift side, I mean, look, if we're, again, going back to the 2009 VMAs, I mean, all she did was win an award. You know, she's standing on stage. She thinks this is cool. I'm getting accepted by the people at MTV. This is not a world I've been a part of before this, really. And I'm now entering a new strata of my career. This is wonderful. And then Kanye West barges in and, and kind of ruins it in the moment. She didn't deserve that. She didn't do anything to ask for that. So it's pretty easy to defend her on those grounds. I'll say, too, that, you know, while you can look at this incident through the lens of race, I think it's also equally legitimate to look at it through the lens of, you know, talking about sexism. The idea that, like, this woman, Taylor Swift, a very accomplished young woman, doing a lot of great things in her career already. I think she was 19 when that whole thing went down. 
Um, she's on her way to having one of the great careers in pop history. And a man just comes up and, you know, essentially pushes her aside. Um, and, and then records a song, you know, several years later, you know, insulting her, insulting her career, you taking know, credit to for her, it. taking credit for her career. Um, you know, and then he puts out a music video like where she's naked and he's like, you know, suggesting that they're going to have sex. I mean, he was very insulting toward her. And I think she had a right to be upset about that. And I think her fans had a right to be upset about that. Um, and, and again, I mean, look, it goes without saying with Taylor Swift that uh, her career is pretty much second to none in the last 20 years. Um, and. I like how she reacted in recent years to some of the adversity that came her way, especially after 1989 became such a, such a huge hit. I'll say it again. I think reputation is a really underrated record. Um, and I liked the villainous Taylor Swift. And I, I kind of hope she goes back to that a little <laughs> bit that, or at least embraces more of that subversive darkness in her music. I think that's something they could use a little bit more of. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, again, like, she didn't deserve what happened to her, but she was able to turn lemons into lemonade, so to speak, in her career. I think, as you said, Taylor's positive influence on young women just cannot be understated. She's a strong, hardworking, supremely talented woman who's in charge of her life and career to, agree that, to a degree that I can't think of since maybe Madonna, you know? I mean, and when she's wronged, if she's groped by a DJ or, or screwed over in a business deal by Scooter Braun or slandered by Kanye West, she speaks up about it. And I, I think that's great. You know, even if it makes her unpopular, it, it doesn't normalize that kind of behavior. Well, and it doesn't make her unpopular. I mean, there's no question that like Taylor Swift is extremely popular. And I think that this is part of what, you know, kind of feeds into her persona. I mean, like, like we said, this is the second time we've talked about her. On this show, and this, our show hasn't been around that long, you know, Taylor Swift has a way of seeking out conflict in a very interesting way. And it makes her career, I think, more fascinating than it would be if she were just this sort of squeaky clean pop star. I think she has that facade to a degree, but her her uh, the dark side of what she does, I think, gives her career a richness that it wouldn't have otherwise. And I'll say, too, like, when, when we look at these two together and, like, why they work together, to me, it's like you couldn't pick a better adversary for each side. You know, with Taylor Swift, again, like, this man who's kind of a loudmouth, kind of a bully, you know, that's like a perfect foil for Taylor Swift to lash out against. And then for Kanye West, you have this, you know, very successful head-of-the-class type, you know, who, like I said, <laughs> is the ultimate industry insider, you know, the industry paragon that he can react against as this guy who, you know, has been extremely successful, but he's never been fully embraced by the mainstream music industry. Uh, you know, for all of his accolades, he could still be an outsider and react against someone like Taylor Swift. So I think, you know, again, you couldn't ask for better enemies for each, for either person. And, and that's why this is such a great rivalry. Right. I mean, Kanye, I don't think is ever better than when he has something to prove, some foe to vanquish. He makes his best art like under duress, really. I mean, Beautiful Dark Twisted Family is a prime example. Uh, and in many ways, Taylor's the same way. I mean, we, she got grief earlier in her career for writing, you know, songs about heartbreak and kind of calling out ex-boyfriends. I mean, Dear John being probably the biggest example. But, uh, you know, you, you can't argue with those songs. No. And again, 
it's like, would you want these two to be friends? I mean, isn't it great that they keep bringing this up? As annoying as it was earlier this year to talk about that phone call, we're still talking about that phone call. I mean, in a way, I guess it just speaks to how the public is obsessed with parsing through this because we can always find new angles, you know, and 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 other larger issues that this reminds us of. I think that's why we're always interested in this. And, you know, Jordan, I just want to say that uh, I did make you famous. <laughs> you did. Uh, and, uh, but thank you for not calling gonna, me bitch. I appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. I have respect. respect. I'm going to say, I'm going to say I made you, but I'm not going to call you the B word. So, you know, I think, I think that's the mutual respect that we have on the show. Uh, hopefully people appreciate it. Um, everyone, I think that's all for this episode of Rivals. So thank you so much for listening. And, uh, we'll be back with more beefs and feuds and all sorts of animosity next week. Rivals is a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Sean Titone and Noel Brown. The supervising producers are Taylor Shacoin and Tristan McNeil. I'm Jordan Runtog. And I'm Stephen Hyden. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.